Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Locals to Legends Wrestling Radio, brought to you by Rockstar Records, 810 East Main Street, Tupelo, Mississippi, 662-269-3745. Welcome to Locals to Legends Podcast with your host, the voice of $10 Wrestling, noted author that has never been published, and the heaviest CWA light heavyweight champion in history, the king of all wrestling media, Gene Jackson, and his co-host, the star of Taylor TV, the man who has wrestled Jerry Lawler 1,239 times and never won, Neil the Real Deal Taylor. Once again, to Locals to Legends Wrestling Radio, I'm your host, the king of all wrestling media, Gene Jackson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, my tag team partner, the man himself, Neil the Real Deal Taylor. Neil, how are we doing this fine Sunday evening? We're doing good, Gene. It's um, been a, uh, it's, it seems like it's been a long weekend. I'm uh, not, not used to being on the road as much as I've been this weekend, but uh, uh, it has been a fun weekend. Um just uh um like i said it's not used to be <laughs> being on the road as much as i have been this weekend yeah i mean uh we'll I, we'll go into that a little bit later i know you were out uh helping some people uh do some good work this weekend and we will talk about that here momentarily but right now i think what we're going to do is we're going to go right into our guest for tonight because where this gentleman is at, I believe it's like 5 a.m. I'll let him tell us a little more about that. But right oh, wow. now, I want to welcome to the show our guest, Mr. Duke Warfield. Duke, are you there? I am. How are you guys doing today? Good morning, sir. Doing well. How about you? <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, not too bad. It is a little early. It's over, It's 5 o'clock over here in uh, Spain, so... So as I sit here in Coleman, Alabama, and Neil the Real Deal Taylor, my co-host, is in Tupelo, Mississippi, Duke Warfield is in Spain, and as it's 10 a.m. Central Time here, it is 5 a.m., and me and Neil always joke about keeping people up late on a Sunday night, but uh, man, this is a whole other ball game, man, getting you up at 5 o'clock for this. Uh, I hope it lives up to the hype for you. <laughs> I'm sure it will. Very excited to be here this morning there. This evening, depending on where you're at, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, before we get into it, the wrestling thing, how you, how you like in Spain? I've never been. What, what's it like over there? It's it's a completely different world, I mean, compared to being over there in the States anywhere. You know, I've traveled a lot while I was there, but I live here in southern Spain, and the mentality is slow. People are friendly. The weather's right now beautiful. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better place to be stationed overseas, to tell you the truth. Wow. That's awesome. 
we're yeah. gonna we're gonna build to it. We're gonna we're gonna talk about how uh, the world of wrestling and uh, you ending up uh, stationed overseas all came together. But tell us a little bit. Um, I guess maybe first, maybe your fandom of wrestling growing up and and what led you to taking the step towards actually uh, finding a way to get trained and a way to get your foot in the door. Is as a kid. I always watched wrestling, probably like most anybody that's listening to this show, loved the WWE, loved watching Raw. You know, the days of the NWO probably, it drug me more into wrestling. You know, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash jumped over. I lived in Idaho, so there isn't a lot of wrestling training, maybe not even a lot of wrestling fans compared to there in the South or the Mid-South in Tennessee. So there wasn't a lot of opportunity I moved to Arizona, went to college, joined the Navy. I was in the Navy for about 10 years before I got stationed in Tennessee. And I had the opportunity at the time because I wasn't on a ship. And I thought, what a great time to train. I met um, Ken Wayne. And Ken Wayne has his school there in Memphis, Tennessee. And I did the, you know, the two years of training with him before I started having matches. I mean, that's kind of a quick, short, dry cut of how it went. Okay, so you were in the Navy before you got into wrestling then? Yes. As I'd, I, like oh, I said, okay. uh, as I'd been in for 10, 10 years before I had before I had the opportunity to find a place to train. Like, I was in Virginia for about five years. And, I, you know, as the Internet's gotten bigger, it's been – more people advertise everything on the internet or on Facebook. So I had started the, the ship that I was on. Our schedule slowed down and I was able to find a few, like there's Hampton championship wrestling that's there. The Memphis MoFo has his own school that he's affiliated with and his own company. So like I had started looking into those before I transferred to Tennessee, but I just didn't, you know, the, training schedule that people put on Facebook that they want you to, you know, two to three times a week. Shift life doesn't always line up well with trying to do something like that because if right. we're out or the ship needs you, you're unable to go in and fulfill that. Well, uh, sailors, when they're off ships, normally have a, like, nine-to-five job. So right. in Millington, I had that nine-to-five job. I was able to go train the two to three times a week that the school called for. So, you know, like you said, the, the thing that really drew you in was, you know, like the the NWO era of wrestling. And, of course, you, you meet up with Ken Wayne and you go to Ken Wayne School. Ken Wayne, um, an old school guy. I mean, he came up in the old school territories. But then again, uh, Ken was known for being uh, – a guy who revolutionized a lot of the high flying and really was ahead of his time was doing, you know, six one nines when Ray Mysterio you know, was probably still in school. Uh, so old school guy, but a little, you know, a little more forward thinking than some, but I know his, especially as far as training goes, he's very deeply rooted uh, in the, in the old school way of, of breaking people into business. So I guess one favorite question it either comes from me or Neil every time we, we talk to somebody is, when you got into the school, 
uh, what do you remember being one of your first misconceptions that you quickly realized, oh, that's that's not how this is based on what you come in thinking and what the reality was? I, don't know, is, I, was, I was an athlete. I am an athlete. Like in high school, I had college scholarships to go play for Arizona State. It's one of the reasons I moved down there. So when I got into wrestling, you know, Caden has you do an interview before you start the school and you go over and you tell them what you want, you know, what are your goals? What are your expectations? So, you know, when I get to the schoolhouse, he's like, yeah, the first, you have your beginning class eight weeks, but you can get through it faster depending on how you pick things up. And none of it was as, you know, we all watch it on TV. So we all should be able to do it. Right. Right. Very basic, very basic. It looks very easy on TV. Those guys make it look like, I should be able to do it. I'd watched it for, you know, say 20 years that so you'll get right into it. And everything was difficult. You, you know, I still remember the first yeah. pair of boots I bought and I brought to the schoolhouse and I laced them up and Ken's like, you laced your boots wrong. Like, what do you mean? You know, and he explains how you want your boots laced up so it doesn't, you know, you don't catch it on the other guy or you don't catch it on the ring rope. So, I mean, there is, I can just—it was all, you know, not what I thought it was. You know, for the basic of how to run the ropes was difficult. You know, right? No, yeah. I, I couldn't point what. I can tell you, my first night there, like, I probably spent half the class wanting to throw up because I was so nervous and hyped, and all of you know, it wasn't an easy part. What do you remember being the hardest thing for you to to learn or the most difficult thing for you to, you know, open up to? How to fall flat, you know, just doing a basic flat back. Because, you know, everything in your life, you learn to put your hands down and brace for shock. Yeah. You know, I... It goes against every natural instinct you have as a human being. (laughs) Yes. And, I mean, I think I ended up learning, like, you know, Ken had me do it every day, and every day he's yelling at me, telling me I'm not doing it right, that I'm floating, you know, that I look like a feather, blah, blah, blah. And one day, you know, I'm getting ready to go out to school, and it's, you know, it gets real icy there in the wintertime in Millington, and I happened to slip on the ice, and, like, I landed perfectly flat, and it didn't hurt at all, and I jumped up, and I was all excited. I drove fast to school. I'm like, Ken, guess what I did? He's like, what? I, like, I did a flat back on the ice. Wow. And he just looked at me. He's like, you're a moron. But, I mean, that was, you know, you train to do that, and you finally do it. And it's like, oh, it didn't hurt. You know, and things progressed from there. But I'd say I didn't learn how to – I learned how to do a flat back, but I perfected it outside the schoolhouse on an icy driveway. So, <laughs> No one can. I thought you were going to say he told you, well, I guess we need to put ice in the ring then. <laughs> <laughs> he probably said something, you know, like he he always had a colorful way of explaining everything. You know, I really enjoyed the time that I spent there with, you know, Ken as a trainer. So, you know, on the older versions of my podcast, I had, uh, Ken on several times. And I mean, just, uh, just a wealth of knowledge. Cause like I said, he come up through so many different, territories and just all kinds of great stories i can only imagine 
you know, besides the entering things, the, the all the the stories and and psychology things he was able to learn just from his experience over the years and all the different places he wrestled. As as I travel everywhere, like I normally find a place to train, and either I'm biased, you know, your first is always the best, or you know, I can I felt you know had a very good training regimen. I know it's he said you know it mirrors that of what. OVW does with Danny Davis, so I'd imagine you know it doesn't get much better than the school his schoolhouse. Right. Well, Neil, let me tag you in. What, what what have you got as far as this train of questioning about like the school the training days for Duke? You know, I I guess probably one of the hardest things for me uh, to to actually learn, and and you talked about taking a flat back bump. Um, they ended up actually having to tie my feet together and basically pull my feet up because I couldn't get my feet out from under me. So I, I guess that's kind of a funny, funny story. But the um, how how was it to learn backdrops? Did you have, that was the hardest thing for me to learn personally? Um, did you find that that difficult to learn how to take a a backdrop? After, you know. By the time we got to backdrops, you know, I was probably doing, you know, in the school for about 18 months. So, like, I felt like I took to them very easily. And then I took a bad one and landed funny. And then I yeah. kept not being able to go back. You know, like, once you land wrong doing something, I mentally sometimes I get, like, I psych myself out every time I do one. Now, I used to land really flat. And now I take it, you know, that weird, awkward kind of, you know, land on my side instead of my back. But yeah. So uh, when was uh when was actually your first match? Uh when was that and and who did you work with? Is my first match was April of 2015 and it was against one of the tra- the trainer there that I worked with Ken Wayne Damone Salavino. Works a lot in uh-huh. the mid south area. I think he's worked for Gene a few times on a show or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, me and him. Me and him okay. worked worked often and traveled everywhere while I was there. Well, the um, what? Um, how how was it to actually go out? I mean. It's it's one thing to be uh, you know in a school environment there with the, the other guys learning and tr- and working through a match. Um, how was it to actually go out in front of a crowd and work? Because you know I, I don't care what anybody says. It's it's yeah you're still doing the moves and you're taking the bumps, but it's it's totally different. How was it to actually go out and work in front of a crowd? It was amazing. My my first match was there in Ripley, Tennessee. It- RCW, and it was me and Damone. I probably had the place probably fits about 300 people, and I think I was right. able to bring up about 50 from Millington that worked with me there. And it's online, and you can hear, you know, you hear and see the guys from work just chanting. I can tell you, it wasn't a very good match. I like on my <laughs> point, you know, what I expect now for myself. I left that match thinking, oh man. I've got it. You know, it helps when you have 50 <laughs> yeah. of your closest friends that are cheering you on. But, you know, you, I watched the match, and 
after every move set and part of the match, you know, I stop and I'm messing with my tights. I'm, you know, look like I'm sucking yeah. from time to time. But it's amazing. And I, everywhere, you know, I go a lot of places where people don't know who I am. I wrestled up in the U.K. about two months ago for PWL, a guy named Matt Powell. And, you know, no one knows who you are except for what they see on Facebook, what the company advertises. And it's always so different just trying to pull the crowd in. So, yeah. I mean, I, it's an amazing feeling. And I w- it's why I keep doing it. And I spend a lot of time making, you know, trying to get new contacts everywhere in Europe because over here they don't drive like we drive. They almost most of them would rather fly somewhere because the plane tickets are cheaper in the in the European Union than they are in the states. Like I can fly up right. to the UK and back for about one hundred twenty-five dollars. Yeah. Oh, wow. you know, we're not going to fly fly from like Memphis to New York because it'll cost us all too much. Right. Yeah. I don't. So, I couldn't fly from Memphis to Tupelo for 125 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> <right>. Wow. <laughs> so, wow. so that's that's something, and that, that's one of the one of the, the many reasons I wanted to have you on because that's a, a unique perspective that you have. Because I mean, we have guys on the show that's wrestled 10 or 12 years in the mid south, and once you gain experience, I mean, you know. Tennessee's a little different Mississippi, and Mississippi's a little different Alabama, and Alabama's a little different Georgia. But at the end of the day, most of the fans have the same buttons to push, and if you, if you know how to get a reaction out of them in one place, you do the other. But now, getting a reaction in, in Ripley, Tennessee, uh, or Piedmont, Alabama, I would have to think, uh, going and working a crowd in the U.K., uh, very different fans, very different perspectives in a lot of ways. So what's that been like for you? Because a lot of guys never get that opportunity. There's guys that wrestle for years and years and years in front of the Southern crowds, and they're experienced and they're and they're considered veterans. But now, you know, you start going all over the world, literally. Uh, what's it like to go in, t- in front of a completely different country and try to find what dials them into your match? I'd say most wrestling fans, I think, still want the, you know the same thing. You know, they want it in if it's in English or Portuguese or Spanish or the UK and Germany. They all, you know, they're looking for the same thing to connect with. So I wouldn't say that it's it's different based on language barriers. So like, if there's words you would say, they might mm-hmm. come across. I know, you know, in the UK, yes, they speak English. But they don't speak it the same. You know, we don't use the same words. Like, when I'm over in the U.K., you know, like, I thought moving to Tennessee, people have a southern accent, and sometimes I had a hard time understanding them. In the U.K., in the Blackwater country, they have a thick accent. I'm like, you guys are worse, you know, not (laughs) not saying people from Tennessee are the worst, but, like, that accent is so hard. Yeah. Sometimes, and they'll get to talking, and I'm like, I know we're both speaking English, but I do better off when I'm in Germany or Portugal talking to people <laughs> than I'm doing right now listening to you guys. So, I mean, the wrestling fans, they, 
and like when I wrestled there in Piedmont, you know, they're going out yelling Warfield, being hyped up. You know, people get in to that almost anywhere I go. And I'm telling, when I wrestled in the UK, they're just so excited to have an American, you know, me going over as an American wrestler. A lot of, a lot of these places that puts me over because it's so different. Right. You know, I, most of the time when I wrestle, I don't really advertise the fact that I'm like, especially when I was in the States, I didn't talk about me being in the Navy just because I didn't want somebody going, Oh, well, he only got over. We only, you know, they only let him in because he was yeah. in the Navy. I think when I worked for you in yeah. Piedmont, we, we didn't, I didn't even talk about the fact that I was in the Navy. You know? No. I no, just kind of I had left, no idea. Left it, and that's why I just assumed it that it came. I thought it came after wrestling. I thought you, you know, you were wrestling and then you joined the Navy. So yeah, I had no idea. So, so but what you're telling me though, I mean, this is now this is promising, Neil. Me and Neil can fly to the UK and we can do our, you know, they pulled my hair, they pulled my trunks using a chain stick over there, and we can still get over. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes. I tell, you know, if they can yeah. understand us, <laughs> if they can understand <laughs> us, that, well, call Jimmy and book us a flight, Neil. <laughs> I, I just got a lot more confident in our abilities. <laughs> wow, like this PWA place or PWL that I work for. At times when I go up to the UK, you'll what they bring in. They've had MVP, Warren Swaggle, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, the Honky Tonk, and they they run out of. Work, workman's office kind of like um, what word am I it's kind of early so now I can't think of the word I want to eat but they have workman's clubs where they still run wrestling shows and it, wrestling is big in the UK just like it is there in the mid-south you know mm-hmm. it's very I wish everywhere was like Tennessee as I traveled I went up to Rhode Island when I left Mem- Memphis and it's kind of big there. There's shows, but not as many in Tennessee. There was just, I mean, you could drive to any town and find a wrestling show on a weekend. So, right. <laughs> Two or three in some towns. If you <laughs> yeah. Yeah. careful. So who's, uh, when you got in the business, uh, who were some of the, the people you aspired to, to get a chance to work with that, that you have either been to work with in the ring or at least alongside on a show. When I got it, when I first moved to Millington, Poker Face ran a show at the ball field there in Millington, the Olympic ball field. Mm-hmm. And I was, he made me, you know, I, I got there and I watched the show and I was like, oh, you know, like not even thinking when I first got my orders there. And his show was that good that I made me want to get back into wrestling and that's when I looked up Ken stuff but like I got to work with Poker Face and I thought that was was very interesting getting to work with you know Greg Anthony I thought was because as I was with Ken's Wayne School you know once you get further enough you're allowed to go out and referee so mm-hmm. some of the first matches I got to ref were with Greg Anthony and you know I got to have a few matches with him before I left. I mean, those, you know, as I was coming up, yeah. I thought both those guys were really, you know, and then getting to work with uh, Eric 
Eric Wayne was also like, I think I met Eric Wayne 15 or 16 times before he could remember my name, which I still don't know if it was a rib or if he just did, you know, because one of the things that, you know, Ken always said is he never remembered anybody's name because he couldn't, you know, didn't know if he was ever going to see him again. So, you know, Eric does a lot of things that Ken said he did, you know, going through the wrestling business. So I think getting to work with all three of those, Tattoo was also somebody, you know, like those four guys are all big in their own right there in the Tennessee area. You know, I've never worked, I've worked on shows, like I said, with MVP. I think the nicest guy I've ever met in my whole life was Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. and never met somebody who cared so much about the business. I did a show for him, for the Memphis Mofo on Fusion. I mean, he had taken mm-hmm. the time to watch everybody's matches prior to the show and have a conversation with you about your match and what you could do to improve, you know, your entering ability, which I, you, I wow. wouldn't expect that from, you know, like a WWE Hall of Famer, a, you know, a guy that's coming to, and I mean, the Fusion Wrestling Show was huge, so it's not like he was, you know, in Ripley, Tennessee, giving a speech. But right. there's probably close to 1,000, 2,000 people there with him, the Boogie Woogie Man, Earl Hebner, and I'm leaving off some guys, I'm sure. But, you know, those were the three big names, and I say he was just amazing. And I tell people that in the Navy, you know, like when I meet somebody senior in the Navy, they don't take the time to know who you are or even look anything yeah. about you. But Ricky Steamboat, like, I walked past the gorilla station there. He's like, hey, Duke. And, I, you know, I kind of stopped, and I might have peed myself a little, the fact that he, <laughs> you know, knew who I was. It was just, you know. Oh, ah. I mean, Ricky Steamboat is one of the smoothest workers of all time, and I defy anybody listening to this show right now. Uh, if you're listening to this, even after when we're not live, if, if anybody can message me and tell me a bad Ricky Steamboat match, I'd, I'd like to hear it because I haven't seen it or heard about it. You know what I mean? Like, Ricky Steamboat, just I mean, he never had a bad match. But like I say, he was one of the smoothest. But not, not like, you know, Lucha Libre where it looks phony. I mean, but everything he did looked fluid, but it also looked legitimate and just truly one of the great workers of all time. And at the end of that show, he worked with one of the guys. He didn't have a full match, but he had, you know, his chops. You know, and a few, you know, the guy took all the bumps, and Ricky looked amazing, you know, doing what Ricky did. And it was just like, wow, you know, like hopefully when I'm his age, I can still go out there and look that believable, you know, because it looked. Yeah. Like he, well, I got a chance know, to meet him like a couple of years ago in Charlotte, and the guy's still in just phenomenal shape. I mean, better shape than I've ever been in, and I'm sure will ever be in in my life. You know, what I mean, he looked like he'd get got in the ring <laughs> and went 60 minutes. You know, right then and there. You know, it was, it was pretty impressive. Yes. Neil. Well, yeah, even I guess going along with that conversation when he. Uh, kind of come back and did that one-off against uh, Chris Jericho 
And yeah. you know, they, they they kept actually kept him on the road for like three or four months doing the house show loops because <laughs> he was going in there and uh, getting a bigger pop and, and, and working better than half the guys they had on the roster. But, <laughs> yeah, that's true. But, but going back to uh, – to, you know, working all these different areas and trying to get in, especially overseas where, you know, they, you know, basically you just inter- introducing yourself, you know, from scratch, I guess. How do you make those contacts and, and, and you know, what, how do you, you know, how do you, uh, how do you get booked in those areas? Because I know a lot of guys, you know, that have worked here in the States for a long time, you know, try to do that and, and struggle with it. You know, but um, you know, with you being in the military, how do you, you know, how do you, how do you do that? What is your, I, what is your, um, you know, how do you go about doing that? Is I have a kind of a Facebook messenger <coughs> post, and I have an email that I use that it describes who I was trained by, any seminars that I've gone to, and I have like five or six of my favorite matches, you know, from different places. I normally always have that opening, my debut match on there so people can see the difference between my match there. Then I, you know, just three different matches. And then normally my most current, the kind of show of progression and say, you know, Hey, I'm learning. A lot of times I say, Hey, the first show I'll come, you know, if they're, they don't want to book me and I know I'm going to be in the area, I'll volunteer, you know, Hey, can I at least come set up the ring? Like I have this match in Sevilla, Spain on the 8th of July. And it started off by, you know, I saw the, they're from Madrid, which is about an eight hour drive, but they're coming to where they're about two hours away from me. It's like, Hey, I want to get involved with your company you know, can I be on your show on the 8th? And they're like, well, the card's already full. I was like, okay, how about I just come and help you set up the ring? And they're like, sure, no problem. You know, go ahead, you know, bring your gear just in case. At which point I replied, you know, you want me to bring my gear? How many tickets do you need me to help you sell in order to get on the show? And they're like, you know, how about you get, if you sell 15 tickets, we'll put you on the show. At which point, you know, I'm on a ship with 300 of my closest friends. I said, hey, you guys all wanted, me, wanted to see me wrestle. Any of you guys want to go to the show? All of a sudden, I have 45 tickets sold. Wow. And I'm like, hey, hey, I've got the 45 tickets. And they're like, what do you mean? You're, you know, because I'm sure they were thinking, this guy, he's contacted us on Facebook. He's from southern Spain. He's American. He doesn't. He's not going to get us, you know, 15 tickets. Right. So now, you know, now they have me on their card. They bumped somebody else. You know, they're putting me <laughs> on their posters. So that's strong, man. That's good stuff. That's, that's, uh, it, that's weird because it's almost like the, the same old school philosophy here of trying to work your way onto a show. Even, <laughs> even still works overseas. Um, with all of the different areas you've worked over there, where where is your where's your favorite area to work and, and, and why is that? Over here is I enjoyed the UK but the company I worked for CTW for Red Eagle in Lisbon, yeah. Portugal. 
and I'm telling Lisbon and a Portuguese country, they're some of the most friend, you know, friendly people. When I go over there, I normally, you know, like I stay at his house with his family. They have food for me, you know. They're just the fans there, you know, love wrestling. I work their a Japanese Comic Con in front of two, three thousand people. Last be in May, so that you know, I just like the different cultures I've gotten to experience and. Like Lisbon was just beautiful. The city of Lisbon, if you ever go, they have a Golden Gate Bridge that mimics ours of, you know, the Bay Area in California. They also have right. the giant Jesus like they do in Brazil. And then there's just so much cultural stuff. And it's, I mean, Europe in itself just has so much that we learn while we're, you know, you're in high school or college. The history is all here and you get to see it. In person, uh, I I love working in Tennessee, and it might once again be just where you know because it's where I started, and I had a Monday to Friday, nine to five job that I could. By the time I left Tennessee, I was working five or six shows a week, you know, double shotting any time I could get two towns that were close enough, or if somebody was running on a Sunday. So it always makes you know my wife's like. I'm sorry we had to leave Tennessee. And I was like, I had to leave anyhow. Just the Navy wouldn't have kept me there any longer. But yeah. she knows I miss that ability. Like, I keep trying to talk her into let me buy a wrestling ring I can put in the backyard, put on shows. So. <laughs> she I never, mean, never you're okay living the dream, me. man. I mean, because yeah. the, the, way, the way you're getting to do it is, I mean, you're getting the – the world traveling wrestling experience, getting to go and experience all these different cultures and different styles and interact with different fans and promoters and wrestlers, but you're making a living and you're going to have a retirement when all this is over with, you know, like now the, the few guys in the business that are making a living uh, without being in, you know, WWE or some big company, you know, it's, it's whatever they can make off their payoff is what they're going to have to live off of. I mean, you've got the ability of having a career, but then you're also getting to have all these amazing wrestling experiences that most guys don't get to have. So, I mean, I, I think that's pretty cool, man. I mean, you, you've you uh, carved out a, a kind of a perfect scenario in a lot of ways, I think. Oh, yeah, no, it's, I enjoy And it's one thing that, you know, that I think sets me apart from a lot of other guys when they go into the locker. You know, I'm not – worried about what the payout is i'm worried about getting that opportunity to contribute to the show and just build wherever i'm at it's where i you know i agree with some people are worried about you know hey i need to make such and such to make it through the week yeah i I can't get home if you don't come through with the payoff (laughs) yes you know some of the sometimes i joke you know like when i work for uh I can't remember the uh, – I worked for a place in Mississippi that often just paid us in cheeseburgers. So here at work, I say I was always paid in cheeseburgers and forever stamps. Because forever stamps are a great worldwide investment because they only go up in price, right? Right. So. I won't even take a stab at what Mississippi show that is. It could be a number of uh, It could be any uh, – wow. 
Oh, an exciting time to be from North Mississippi. <laughs> yes, yeah, awesome. But, but no, man. Like I said, that's that's you know one of the many reasons I wanted to have you on the show because, like I say, it's you're in a very unique situation. Um, and again, like when you're not having to negotiate money to live based on wrestling, you can go in there and enjoy it. Because I mean, there's guys that are in the ring stressed out. You know, like say if they. If they think the payoffs going south, and they're like, "Well, how the hell are we getting home? You know, or what are we gonna pay the rent this week?" But you know, you can just go wrestle, enjoy the experience. So, are you selling gimmicks and stuff over there just for people it, to have them, or are you I gonna sell, bother with that? Or? I sell T-shirts, and then I, a lot of times, I'll have a a picture, eight by ten or whatever that I'm selling. And in the UK, they went fast. I, when I did the Japanese Comic-Con, you know, a lot of times I don't like ha- buying more than 40 or 50 shirts and, you know, same for photos. I, and I'll bring them in. I always think they're not going to say, you know, why is somebody going to yeah. buy Duke Warfield stuff? You know, like you can't, if you YouTube me, there are a lot of matches on there. But I'm not a Ring of Honor guy. I'm not you know, the Lucha underground or a former WWE guy. But it, like I said, it's always, it's, to me, filters back to being an American. You can, you know, like when you watch a wrestling show, you can tell guys that were kind of where they're trained from. Like now when I watch, you know, prior to going to school and becoming a wrestler, every wrestling show was just, you know, everybody looked the same to me when they wrestled. Now, you know, when I watch a wrestling show, I'm watching their feet you can tell the difference between like a UK wrestler or somebody that, you know, depending on where they were trained or I oh, feel yeah. like I can. So you start, you know, you watch all of that. You watch their feet, feet placement, the different ways of how people go into the ropes. But when I sell my gimmicks sell every time for, you know, and I don't know why I don't have, I go out there like when I wrestled for, and I'm just excited and I think it just makes the fans excited and want to attach. It was funny, you know, talking about gimmicks in the UK as selling stuff. When I came out and had my match, people started chanting, you know, USA, and I'm fighting a kid from the UK, kind of a parky-looking guy. <laughs> and this little girl, you know, as the chants start died down, you hear her go, Daddy, why are we chanting for the USA? We're English. <laughs> <laughs> and like I had to get out of the ring and like the most kind of person walk in the room. Away. Yeah, is a six-year-old little girl that is like, <laughs> why are we not cheering the guy from our country instead of you know this American? And you know it made me laugh. You know the Booker there, you know after the match, cracked up. He goes, you know, because he's like he never understands why everybody just jumps on to the American wrestlers that come over here. And want them to beat up the English guys. So, but yeah, but that's got to be a cool experience to be all the way over there and and you know win over the home crowd like that. You know, and have them chanting USA. You know, when you're not in the USA, I, I, I got to feel like that's pretty cool, right? Oh no, it like I said, it's amazing. You know, mo- most of the places I go, I get to be a baby. Maybe it's another is in Portugal. They always have me be a bad guy, which is always, 
you know, just as much fun as being a face. So. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's the real fun there, man. That's where it's at. Yeah. That just because I'm a horrible baby face. So I'm, you know, I don't have the ability <laughs> to go out and be. <laughs> Yeah. I have so, I would, if I if here I have people chanting again. You know, they they would chant for the Russian against me in, in the United States. So, you know, <laughs> I'm an asshole. But. Well, that's cool, man. So, so uh, you know, so yeah. Go ahead, Neil. I I was just going to ask. So how how long are you going to be in Spain? Like, what's next? Is I'm in Spain until. August of 2019 is when my orders over here are up. At which point, yeah. uh, you you can kind of look into the, your career future with a few different applications the Navy has. And I'm looking at either probably going to Mayport, Florida, right outside of Jacksonville, or yeah. if I'm really lucky, I'll I'll get to end up over in Japan and Yakuska. And you know, I I think there'd be nothing cooler to be able to go over to Yakuska, train over there learn the Japanese style of wrestling, go through all of that, and then come back to the States and start looking at, like, when I retire, I'd like to have my own wrestling promotion, my own school, you know, try, try my hand at that, because by the time I retire, I'll be 53 years old, I'm 37, you know, a lot of people I feel like always think I'm younger than what, like, I'm 37 now. So I didn't start wrestling until I was thirty. Would be that thirty four, thirty five. So yeah. Wow. Well, that's oh, um, cool. Yeah, you can go to go to Japan yeah. and come back and just beat the shit out of everybody like the rest of these guys do when they <laughs> go to Japan for a few years. <laughs> yeah. You're a menace. Ask Neil about Bull Buchanan. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, I was his first <laughs> back, first match back from. Uh, he had been in Japan for like three months, and I was his first match back in the states. And yeah, that was bad. I I, I could have swore I owed him. I could swore I owed him money or something. It was yeah. Uh, that's probably the worst. I I would have rather been in a regular fight than that than that wrestling match. <laughs> Boy, it was tough. Well, all right, man. So. It's great having you on the show, and we wish you uh, continued success. And uh, we'll have to have you on again down the line and get an update on how things are going. And uh, like I say, you you are you are living the dream for a lot of guys, man. Being able to be out and experience all the things you're getting to experience, but with the comfort of a of a career, you know, to fall back on and and to be able to retire and then run a wrestling school because you want to, not because it's the only thing you're qualified to do in life, you know. So, pretty cool, man. Yes. And and like I invite any of the guys that I've talked to, you, you know, or worked with is the guy that runs the company up in the UK, you know, and I, only the places that I'm really comfortable with, the PWL, the CTW, like always tell me, you know, hey, if you have friends that want to come over, let me know. So if you guys decide you want to come over and try a match in the UK, let me know, and I'm sure we can get that planned out and get you guys on. You know, that's part of right. what I enjoy enjoy That'd doing is making sure everybody get, gets an opportunity and we all, you know, I'd say the wrestling community is a really good family of supporting each other. 
and helping each other out. So, well, that's cool. I appreciate yeah. it. If we could ever work that out, that would be Man, yeah. Memphis Monroe comes to England. What a what a DVD <laughs> that could be if we might. <laughs> Um, well, just, all right, dude, know, man, I appreciate you uh, getting on here with us this early, man, because uh, whew, I, I, don't, I don't get up at 5 o'clock in the morning at gunpoint. So for you to come on and do this show, we we really do appreciate your time, and, and it's it's been a pleasure talking to you. Absolutely. Uh, thank you very much. I appreciate being on, guys. Well, all right, man, take care and uh, keep in touch with us. All right, I'll talk to you guys later. Bye, Gene. Thanks. Bye. All right, man, Duke Warfield, he's a super nice guy. And uh, like I say, I mean, that's that's a pretty cool situation he's in to get to, you know, have his career in the Navy and then get to go experience life abroad as a, as a professional wrestler, not something many of us get to do. Not at all, man. They was, there's guys that would kill for the opportunity that he's got right now. And I don't know, maybe you and I should uh... – Maybe you and I should start packing packing our bags. <laughs> Absolutely, we'll. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that we could get the fans to chant USA, but we could get them to chant something. I'm sure, you know. <laughs> Maybe go the hell. Home. <laughs> I think we can get the king to go over. We think we get the king and Derek to go over there with us. We'll just do a series over there, and <laughs> we'll put on a clinic <laughs> of old school I, Memphis it, wrestling. It damn sure be a clinic. <laughs> <laughs> I got a train. <laughs> <laughs> oh my lord! Well, I, so I was at work Friday from seven in the morning till about seven Friday night, and all I could think all day is, "Damn it! I I so wish." Uh, that I could get out of here and head to Memphis and go with you guys to the Brickhouse benefit there in, in Memphis, Tennessee. And it looked like from the pictures I saw, there was a lot of people there. So tell me how that went. Give me give me the uh, lowdown on that whole event. Man, it, um, it, it was just one of the coolest benefits I've ever been a part of. And I've done a bunch of them, uh, and you have too. Um, we uh, probably did um, – I think there was somewhere around a little over 300 there, um, man. Mm-hmm. They were in, and the dressing room was dressing room was just it was crazy. We had uh, superstar Bill Dundee there. Um, of course, Reggie B. Fine was there. He was one of the people that helped put the event together. Um, uh, Nate the Rat came over and actually managed. Um, uh, Sweet Georgia Brown was there. Who? Uh, uh, some people aren't familiar. She was actually one of the uh, she was one of the women that uh, Andy Kaufman was supposed to wrestle when he uh, first came into Memphis. Uh, got to meet her and talk to her for a few minutes. Um, uh, handsome Jimmy. Is she Valle the one that was there. dressed like the? Is she the one that was dressed like she was on the front of the banana basket <laughs> or whatever? Like, is that was yep, that sweet that Georgia was Brown? Okay. That was her. I asked, I asked Jimmy about that, and Jimmy said that was actually one of the gimmicks that she used to wear. She used to wear when she wrestled. Of course, I don't know how in the oh, hell okay. she ever wore that thing and wrestled or whatever. But, but he yeah. said that was one of the gimmicks that she used to wear out to the ring. So, um, but and and of course, uh, Brickhouse did get to make it up. We were we were a little bit worried that Brickhouse wasn't going to get to make make it up to the show, but he did make it and. 
uh, got to meet Brickhouse's daughter, who is uh, absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> I remember Reggie B said, "Ain't no way in hell you made something look that good." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she was super nice, um, um, and, and it actually went pretty smooth as far as just the show goes. I, I, we did like six six matches. Uh, the majority of them were tag matches. Um, I think there was like one singles match, um, and, and it was just—it it was a lot of fun. And, and um, about midway through the show, they brought um, all the guys out to the ring that were working on the show, uh, and, and um, uh, then brought Brickhouse out and um, and uh, Brickhouse. Uh, uh, Bill Dundee got the mic and. I actually told a couple of stories about Brickhouse uh from back in the Bill Watts days which were which were pretty funny. Um he was uh he told the story that uh Brickhouse was probably fined more than anybody that worked that had ever worked for Bill Watts for either not showing up or bringing women in the dressing room or something <laughs> and he would he would constantly fine him and he said at the end of the year he would give him like a $6,000 bonus. But what it was is, as he said, Watts would actually keep all the money that he, that he, uh, that he, uh, fined Brickhouse. And then he'd just give it to him at the end of the year as a bonus. <laughs> so he actually wasn't giving him anything, but, uh, he told that story and then, uh, Brickhouse got on the mic and I, you know, to see Brickhouse like that, you know, Brickhouse is one of those characters that, you know, he, he Brickhouse does a lot of talking, and um, yeah, you know, to see Brickhouse humbled, you know, the way that the, the way he appeared to be, and you know, I bless his heart, I actually think I seen a tear in his eye, and you know, he he got on the mic, thanked everybody, and then um, in true Brickhouse fashion, you know, he he hustled off some of them, some of those catchphrase <laughs> lines that he's thrown at me and you a thousand times. Uh, that's what I was about to yeah. say, man. I watched the video that T or somebody had put up on Wrestling News Center from that. And, uh, yeah, it made it all seem a lot more real, seeing, you know, Brick and as, as frail as he looks right now and bless his heart. But, uh, you know, seeing his face light up when he got on the mic and was saying, like you said, I, it took me back to being in that little building downtown Fulton, you know, him in the ring yeah. saying that stuff to me, you and Big Hoss and uh, – all the times and Corinth and the different places. And, uh, yeah, it really brought back a lot of memories and all the years I watched him and say a lot of the same stuff on, on Memphis TV as well. And, uh, you know, he, he's the first guy that I grew up watching on television that I ever got a chance to wrestle in the ring and learned a lot being around him in the dressing room and getting the wrestling, the, the times I did. And, uh, it's heartbreaking to watch somebody, to watch anybody go through that, but you know, somebody you got a history with and somebody you respect. And, uh, it's just, just a sad situation, but it's, it's really cool that everybody came out and did that for him. Uh, and like I said, I would give anything to, to have gotten to be there. And, uh, Reggie B man, Reggie B fine is one of the most underrated guys ever in wrestling. He is one of the most entertaining. I mean, I used to love his promos on TV and, you know, he's in the big, you know, fur coat and calling everybody low budgets and, you know, aggravating the shit out of, you know, Lance and Dave and Corey later on. And, uh, 
I just I don't know. I've always liked being around that guy because he, he he really is as funny as, as you know the guy he plays on TV. So that's cool he got to be there because I know him and Brick have always been you know close you know through the years in and out of the ring. So just really cool, man. And I know there were several other shows throughout the weekend in various places. I think you did another one what Saturday night at SGWA as well. Well. Actually, um, there was a show. Um, the one, the show that I worked up in uh, Raymer, Tennessee, wasn't a benefit for him. But there was oh, a okay. show last night over in uh, uh, Crenshaw, Mississippi, and I haven't haven't heard anything about <clears throat> what kind of money they made or or anything yeah. like that. But I do know there was another show. But we, um, I think, at the end of the night, Friday night, uh, between. Uh, ticket sales and everything. Um, Reggie B actually auctioned off. Uh, remember the big white fur coat that he always wore? Oh yeah, absolutely. he au- yeah he auctioned that thing off uh, and oh, gave wow. money to Brickhouse. I don't know I don't know how much money he got for it, but I um, the final number I was told was right around thirteen hundred dollars was raised Friday night. So. That was cool. cool, and like I said, just being just being in the dressing room and hearing all those guys tell stories, and it was it was uh, it was a really awesome night, um, a lot of fun. But um, but yeah, I, I don't know how the show did last night, but uh, I, going based on the pictures, it seems like it did pretty well. I hope it did, uh, and it looked like yeah. the house was able to make it too. So, well, you but, know, uh, I mean. I hope regardless of the money, man, you know it. You know it did his heart good to to see it. You know people turn out like that, both fans and and the wrestlers both to to turn out and you know show him love like that. And kudos to Soul Taker for uh, offering up you know his his building there, which is looks like I've never been there, but it looks like a really really nice setup he's got going there. And of course, you know Real South Wrestling's been running for what's he been a couple of years or so there and going yeah. strong. So. Uh, more than you can say for just about anybody that's tried to run Memphis on a consistent basis in the last 10, 15 years. So got to give him, give him credit for that. So it was nice of him to offer up his building on a Friday night and for everybody to show up. And uh, like I said, I would have, I would have loved to have been there, man. So you and uh, I think what you and Mitch wrestled the Valiants. Is that what went on? Well, um, yeah, what actually happened was, um, uh, the Valiants had actually done a shot up in Dyersburg, Tennessee, um, and then came to the show. They did a double shot, and um, uh, poor handsome Jimmy. By the time, by the time they got to Memphis, poor handsome Jimmy was he was pretty much shot. So um, Soul Taker came in as 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 handsome as uh, Gary Valiant's partner, kind of at the last minute, and um, okay. match was. <laughs> Match probably wouldn't what it could have been, uh, but uh, given given the night and everything, everybody was tired. And um, please, you know, please tell was, me, Soltaker did all the handsome Jimmy spots and did he kiss you I and ride you around the ring and smack your ass? And <laughs> no, as great as that would have been, no, afraid not. But uh, but anyway, that Damn that it. was. Um, yeah, that was uh, yeah, that was the matches. Myself, Mitch Toretta, and Jimmy Blaylock and against um, uh, Gary Valiant, Soul Taker with Handsome Jimmy on the on the outside when he wasn't going back and forth to the gimmick table. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've seen Jimmy endeared himself to the Memphis fans coming out to the ring with his 
cockeyed hat and his flavor flavor clock around his neck. So he's lucky on a funny. Shot. It's the funny thing is we were all kind of dressed like that. Um, you can't hardly see in the picture, but he had brought hat those flat billed hats for all of us. I, I had one oh, kind okay. of to the back to the side and yeah, you know Jimmy, he's gotta come up with something goofy and something fun to do, but um, yeah, I got it cool. worked. He uh he had some guy <laughs> he had some guy about on top of him by the end of the by the middle of the match <laughs> and uh had to be three or four security folks got over there. You know Jimmy, he's gonna he, get right, he wouldn't heat. have it any other way, man. Wouldn't but, have it um, any other way. Lord no he wouldn't. Man, then last night I mean I know I know he's not taking you know, he's not doing superplexes or, you know, diving off the top rope or anything, but you know, I'm gonna be forty next month and that little match we did here several, several weeks ago, you know, I was sore for a couple of days and, you know, I had to kinda hype myself up for it for six weeks prior. Jimmy Valiant, I don't know his exact age, but He's got to be rocking on towards 80, and he's still getting in the ring. That is absolutely amazing. And the fact that he even, you know, contemplated doing a double shot and wrestling twice in one day, which, again, I mean, I know he's he's doing what he's done for 20 years now, but just to put on tights and lace-up boots that go all the way to his knees is, is an endeavor in itself, you know, for somebody that age. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty amazing. He'll actually be 75 this year. Holy crap! Wow, that is. <laughs> um, Good the Lord. show Saturday night. I, the show Saturday night. I actually got to sit and talk to him a little bit, and um, I watched their match. But yeah, I got to sit and talk to him for a few minutes. He. Uh, uh, we he asked you how Bo James was doing. <laughs> no, he didn't ask me how <laughs> Bo James was. But, um, uh, I was uh, sitting there listening to him. He was just over. He's the next table over from me, and I was I was kind of listening to him to see if I could catch any tips on how to try to hustle some gimmicks, and um, just yeah. listen to him talk to people and stuff. And we got in the dressing room, and I I told him I said Boogie, I said I, I'm 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 going to tell the truth. I was kind of eavesdropping and listening to you, said if I could catch any tips on how to sell gimmicks and. He said, "Oh, brother," he said, "if you can, he, if you can just strike up a conversation with somebody, you've got a pretty good chance." He actually told me that he had he had those black and white striped tights on mm-hmm. this weekend, and he actually uh, a guy that um, came and saw him at at Lawler's Bar on Bill Street. He went there and hung out that uh, during the day Saturday. A guy actually bought them from him and PayPal'd him the money. And he said, yeah. as soon as he got home, he's going to take them and wash them and ship them to the guy. And he actually wow. told me, he told me a story that he was doing a show um, in the uh, in the it was somewhere in North Carolina, and he said that um, the same thing happened. He said that he, you know, he he sells his tights and stuff on eBay. You can go on eBay right now and find some handsome Jimmy tights, but. There was a guy at a show wanted to buy the tights that he had on, and he said, "Well, you know, he, he agreed to sell them to him, come up with a price." And uh, he said, "Well, I'll ship them to you when I get home." He said, "No, man, I want them tonight." And um, Jimmy's like, I, "I mean, I didn't have any other clothes with me. All basically, all I had is my tights because that's what I wear when I'm on the road because I don't I don't like having to change a whole lot." He said, uh, "He said, brother, I was naked." 
He said, I went to the, he said, I went to the, uh, we went to the dressing room. He said, and I found a big beach towel and I took, he said, I took my boots off, took the tights off, folded them all up, wrapped the beach towel around me. I had a t-shirt and my jacket and my boots. And he said, I, I just wrapped the towel around me. And he said, it looked like a big kilt. He said, I took him out there and the guy, he said, the brother paid me for him. And I, and I, he said, I drove home. He said, I drove home three and a half hours, buck naked. <laughs> <laughs> That's an awesome story. What wrestling fans are a special breed though. Like I understand if you go on eBay and I mean, I know like collectors like Conrad have, you know, all kinds of people's tights and boots and things they've bought from other collectors or from the wrestlers themselves. But I don't – I mean, how would you go about you – know, you're a fan and a wrestler both. I, I, would it even come to your mind, and how would you even go like, hey, I want to buy the – you know, I want to buy some of your tights. No, the ones you're wearing. I just – I don't even know. Like, <laughs> how do you even approach that? You're like, no, I want – no, I don't want you to wash them and ship them to me. I want the tights right off your ass right now, and I want to pay you for them and take them home as is. It's got to be the most awkward conversation in the world, I would think, for me anyway. But I'm sure that guy didn't, it didn't even phase him. I, I, who knows what he paid for him? You know it had to be a pretty penny if he was willing to go home naked in a beach towel three hours. You still there? I think we may have lost Neil. We may have lost the whole show. I don't even know if we're still. Not sure if we're still on the air or not. Let's see here. Let me uh, look a couple of buttons and see if we can get Neil back. Yep, he has dropped. So Neil's dropped off, so we'll go ahead and start winding things down. Uh, this week, we had a, an interesting, you know, every week we do the, the bad promo of the week, and sometimes it's, you know, indie guys, and sometimes it's old promos. Like, you know, last week we had the old Dusty Rhodes promos from when he first came in as the Americana Meat Man, and he was the Americana Plumber. Well, here's something. It's not exactly a promo, but it's pretty famous, and I know they've talked about it on some other podcasts recently. So we want to play it for you here tonight. This is called the AWA had what they wanted to be uh, their WrestleMania, I guess you would say, and it was called the Wrestle Rock Rumble. And about this time, uh, there was a, a song called the Super Bowl Shuffle. It was when the 1985 Chicago Bears had won the Super Bowl, and they made a god awful novelty song. And so, this, the Wrestle Rock Rumble, was Vern Gagne's answer to the Super Bowl Shuffle. So, let's take a look at this real quick. Neil may rejoin us. If not, we're going to go ahead and and wrap this up. But before we go, let's take a listen right now to the Wrestle Rock Rumble. This is Jen Resnick, and I'm here to say we've got the greatest wrestlers in the AWA. But you're not here to listen to me mumble. Let's fill you in on the Wrestle Rock Rumble. Get on! Wrestle Rock, be there. We're the Midnight Rockers, Sean and Marty. We love to wrestle. And we love to party. You don't have to worry, we're not gonna fumble, cause we'll, we'll be shaking to the, the Wrestle Rock Rumble. Ow! Wrestle Rock. I'm the shit, and that's not funny. I got my army a lot of money. If Gunny in my way, I'll make him crumble. He be sorry, I did the Wrestle Rock Rumble. 
Wrestle-Log, be there. I'm Jerry Blackwell, and I want to see. I want to get my hands on that pencil neck geek. As I watch the EDF fumble, I'm going to make my splash in the Wrestle-Rock rumble. The AWA, you, me, and Wrestle-Rock. I'm Greg Gagne, and I'm in a rave. I want Brody, and I want him in a cage. A high-flying dropkick will make him see double. I grind him up at the Wrestle Rock Rumble. Woo! Wrestle Rock. I'm Kurt Hennig. And Big Scott Hall. As tag team champs, we'll take on them all. So bring on the long riders, those dirt ball dumbos. We'll smear those boots and do the Wrestle Rock Rumble. Rockwinkle, I've got a passion. I'll get the title back from the humanoid handsome. I've got the brains, and I'm not humble. I'll take the belt back and do the Wrestle Rock Rumble. Wrestle Rock, April 20th, at the Dome. Wrestle Rock, 86, be there. I'm Larry's the fist, so I won't be through till I get done slapping around Scott the Duke. Gonna beat the ugly bartender into a bundle and laugh all the way doing Wrestle Rock Rumble. Ow! This game dog got a mouth that won't quit, but I'm Scott the Duke and wanna smack a little shit. And when I'm through, you won't be able to mumble. I'll be left alone doing the Wrestle Rock Rumble. Yeah! Just one last word from the former champ, Burn, but give it a lot of thought to one more turn. There's some old scores that still give me trouble, and I'm starting to get the urge to do the Wrestle Rock Rumble. So there you have it, and now you know them. And on April 20th, it's at the Dome. So get your ticket to be under the bubble, because you two can be doing the Wrestle Rock Rumble. Do it! Wrestle uh-huh. Rock Rumble. Well, there you have it, uh, Vern Gagne, who was before his time as a as a rapper. There, that's been the inspiration for many of the white rappers that came along after him. What do you think about that one? Boy, that's tough. There, <laughs> that thing is. It doesn't matter. It don't matter how many times you hear that, though. It's funny. It is, and and it just goes on and on, like three and a half minutes of that. Like, what what were they thinking? And it was a bisco, and wow. So not exactly a promo, but it definitely qualifies as bad and and memorable, and I think everyone should hear it at some point. So hopefully uh, people who had not been privy to the Wrestle Rock Rumble, uh, there you go. Share it with a friend or someone you don't like, brother. But... uh, (laughs) I guess that's going to just about wrap us up for this week. Um, did, I guess we kind of finished our thoughts. I mean, basically, I was, when the phone dropped or whatever happened there, I don't know, we had a technical difficulty. Uh, basically, I was just asking you your opinion of, you know, how hard it would be for you to just ask somebody to just buy the tights they're wearing at that very moment. Is, I mean, does that not seem terribly awkward? It would have to be. Uh, I can't imagine somebody walking up to me and telling me they want to buy 
the tights that I have on right now. They don't want to wait. They they want the tights. You know, they 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 have to have them now. I can't imagine that would be incredibly. Joy Graham would be awkward. proud. <laughs> oh my Dream God, Machine would be all really. about it. <laughs> oh yeah, he just take your shit away from you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jerry's gonna give it to me. Or I'm gonna cut you. So. But, uh, yeah, I can only imagine what that guy paid him for those tights for him to ride home in a beach towel for three hours. You know, it was, you know, substantial, I would think. There, I think his tights run for like three fifty a set is what they, the bids start on eBay because I've run across them before. Right. I think he's running around 350 bucks. I, you know, I remember, you know, we wrestled him a couple different times, and he was wearing – different tights both times but when i remember standing there in the ring going that's the tights he wore at great american bash 86 and then the next one like we were wrestling like i think that's the ones he had on the crockett cup you know like dude but he wasn't selling them back then like he's he's been rocking these things for a while because i recognized them from my childhood which is i don't know what that says about me but that's uh that's that, damn, that to me was cool like <laughs> so damn i had for k and h K and H tights is what that is. Damn right. Jeez, that's them, <laughs> yeah, that's them exactly. old polyesters there, boy. Because <laughs> that was, I said, Great American Bash 86. We were wrestling in, what, 99, 2000, somewhere in there. So <laughs> yeah, they, 99. They had been in the ring for a while. So oh, I guess before we go, we'll, we'll let everybody know that next Sunday night, um, we're going to be taking the weekend off. Uh, we had, you know, we had said before, um, we had we started this on Christmas night uh, this past year in 2016, and we've only missed one Sunday uh, since then, which is pretty damn impressive, especially considering my track record. Because you know I would do <laughs> two or three months, and then I'd have like a year long hiatus, and then you know come back again. So the fact that we've done this consistently for going on you know six months, it's pretty damn impressive. But you know we both have uh jobs uh unfortunately we're not like duke we don't get to you know do wrestling and you know it doesn't it doesn't work as well for us so we got we got you know jobs and things we have to do and other stuff to come up so next weekend uh with the things we both have going on in our separate personal lives it just isn't conducive to doing a podcast next week so we're going to take the week off so feel free uh next sunday night at 10 o'clock if you find yourself um you know, hard up to hear the voices of, of Gene and Neil. Uh, you can go and, and go through the archives and listen to something we've done in the last six months. If you're an old school fan, uh, dig through the old archives and check out. Um, I recently had shared uh, this on a couple of old school wrestling groups, and I'd got a lot of great feedback from the old uh, Dutch Mantel interview, the Bruno interview that we've talked about here several times. Bruno San Martino. There's a Bruno San Martino, and there's a downtown Bruno. Uh, interview, both of which uh, I'm pretty proud of. Downtown Bruno is an interesting guy. He was fun to talk to. Uh, also, the, the Mr. Olympia Jerry Stubbs interview, which nobody had really interviewed him at the time. Still, I still don't know he's done any shooting interviews at this point. And he was a big deal in Mid South and Continental and different places like that. And of course, the Randy Hales interviews, different things we've talked about. So there's plenty of stuff to keep you occupied if, if you just really need to hear some wrestling podcast and you can't find any god forbid i don't know how that big there's five thousand million wrestling <laughs> podcasts out there right now i figure yeah, we're really. somewhere towards 
hopefully, hopefully the middle of the road, if not, you know, further up. But check out one of the old ones. Um, however, when we come back uh, here in two weeks, so that would be, let me click the little calendar on the right side of my laptop here. That would be July the 2nd. Uh, we are going to have, as our guest, Alabama wrestling legend, Wild Thing Will Owens. And so if you know Will Owens, if you know anything about Will Owens, you know it's going to be a fun episode. Uh, Will has seen and done it all throughout the Southeast and uh, and, and likes to talk about it. He's not going to hold anything back. So uh, he used to be a tag team partner of, of Neil Taylor. They used to be tag team champions up in Nashville. I'm sure we'll talk about that some. Uh, so there'll be plenty to talk about. I wouldn't doubt if Will Owens doesn't turn into a, a two-parter or a, a return down the road. There's just way too much to talk to him about to squeeze into one show. So that's going to be a fun one. Looking forward to that. So we'll return on July the 2nd, and we'll have Will Owens on. We'll have a new bad promo. Uh, we'll be rested and rejuvenated from uh, how tired we've probably both sounded these last two or three episodes because <laughs> of all the stuff going on. So we'll be fired up and ready to podcast our asses off here in two weeks don't you think <laughs> maybe so it's uh I, I know for you it's been i know for you it's been a, a tough month or so and it has been for me too on a lot of different things so um maybe maybe a little bit of a needed break although um uh, part of my hiatus is still work next weekend so i'll be, I'll be out of town yeah. for about five days so but uh, yeah. you get to go on vacation and i get to go to work for five days in tampa so um, yeah, maybe we come back. Maybe we can uh, maybe we can squeeze some rest in there somewhere. Hopefully so, but I guess there's worse places to work than Tampa, so maybe it won't be too bad. Yeah. But, uh, is there anything wrestling-related you're going to be doing between now and July the 2nd uh, that needs to be plugged or mentioned or that you'd want people to come see? Uh, no, actually, I'm, um, <laughs> I'm, I don't have anything going on between now and then. Uh, um I, I don't get started back up. My next booking is in uh, uh, the seventh of Ju- the seventh of July in Ripley, Mississippi, for uh, the WECW promotion. So uh, we'll be coming right off of uh, the fourth of July, and with that, and of course the the fifth anniversary OWO show, the twenty second of July, just before my birthday, uh, which. Uh, May end up being my last match. I don't know that's yet to be determined. Come, come watch Neil get physically assaulted by Scott Steiner. Uh, I think uh, right before the week the, the week before that show, we will run, rerun the bad asses promo from Scott Steiner uh, just to get oh, him fired up if somebody lets him hear the show. I wish I wish to God we could get a phone number on Scott Steiner and, and have him on the show at least briefly. I don't know how coherent he would be or what that would even sound like or resemble, but if I can if I can talk uh, dirty into you know making it sound like a good idea that if he came on our show it would double the house at the show. Maybe we could get Scott Steiner on here, <laughs> let y'all talk a little shit back and forth, get a little get him a little fired up before the show even happens, you know. Because <laughs> I'm not going to be there. Yeah, really. Well, I won't give a shit. I'll say all kinds of god awful things to him. And uh, well, I appreciate that. You know, <laughs> make, <laughs> make sure y'all have a fun match. If nothing else. Yeah. Maybe we can have a uh, Scott Steiner voice actor call in and reenact what it would sound like if Scott Steiner did call our show. Maybe I'll, I'll contact our friend uh, 
Jeremy Flint, who I know he does a good Austin and several others. He might have a Scott Steiner in him, and we can reenact <laughs> what it would sound like if Neil Taylor and Scott Steiner had a uh, a promo against each other here on the Locals to Legends Wrestling Radio. And uh, real quick before we wrap up, I was at New South last night. A lot of great guys there. Uh, but Jeremy was there, and we were having fun in the dressing room talking about everybody's favorite podcast, the the Bruce Pritchard podcast and, and the Shivani one as well. But there was a guy, inexplicably, and here's something funny. I'm going to tell me if you ever encountered this at a wrestling show. There's a lot of guys that work this New South show. So there's there's all kinds of people in there. Half the time, I know maybe two-thirds of them at best. And I'm doing the DVD commentary, and a lot of times they don't give me a run sheet, so I'm just winging it. If I don't understand what the ring announcer says, which sometimes happens, I don't know the guy's names, and i got to call the whole match with somebody that I don't know their freaking name, uh, which is <laughs> it's just challenging, but I've pulled it off at times. Uh, but I look over there, and there's this heavyset guy with what appears to be a Lone Ranger mask on, and I'm like, you know look over there, and Jeremy kind of cuts his eyes over there. I go, God damn, you didn't tell me fucking repo man was booked here tonight. I've got a fucking legend. And Jeremy about <laughs> spits water all over me because <laughs> as I had cut into that impression, I was standing next to the water cooler, and this guy had walked right up behind me, and I didn't realize he's like literally standing six inches from me as I'm going, God damn, repo man is here tonight. <laughs> and Jeremy spits oh water out, kind of pointing, he's behind you. So anyway, so this guy's decked out, looking very much like the Repo Man. And at the end of the night, I'm, so I'm, a, I'm on commentary watching for him because Jeremy's like, you won't call him Repo Man on commentary. I'm like, the hell I won't. I mean, I'm not probably going to know his name anyway, so he'll probably be Repo Man by default. And I wait and wait and wait. He never comes out. And when I come back at the end of the night, he's changed back into his regular clothes, and he just gets up and leaves with some guys. So I don't know if he was dressed in hopes that somebody was going to no-show and they'd be like, hey, we really need the repo man for this spot or what. But it was it was really bizarre. But uh, anyway, we did, we spent half the night doing cornet and everybody, and then me calling him the repo man just seemed to tickle Jeremy. So I don't know. <laughs> it was, struck me as, as funny. But uh, it may not – maybe one of those you had to be there moments for people listening to this right now, like, yeah, it's not really that funny, but, you know. Anyway, so this is what you're missing next week. <laughs> Rambling at its finest. But uh, anyway, thanks for listening. And we want to thank Duke Warfield for getting up at 5 a.m. in Spain uh, to do our little show here and uh, tell us about his wrestling career and, and some of the fun experiences he's had. Uh, he was a great guest. We'll have him on in the future. And uh, wish Neil luck for his five days in Tampa and I'm going to go if I get through this week without killing anybody and going to jail uh I'm gonna go spend two days in Pigeon Forge over in the Smoky Mountains and I'm so looking forward to it I don't know when I've made a vacation this bad so excited about that you suck. next month I gotta go to a wedding on my 40th birthday I will be at my cousin's wedding so that'll be an interesting story I'm sure so Thanks for listening. Locallegends.com. We'll try to put some stuff up there. I know we say it every week. Sometimes we actually do. Uh, more often than not, we don't, but we will try to put some stuff. I'll try to throw some of Duke's matches on there because, like you said, he's got quite a few matches on YouTube. Uh, I know I got his match from you know, my little Twin State show where he wrestled Charles Anders, 
and they had a good match on that show. So we'll try to post some of his stuff up, and uh, I'm sure we can find some some Will Owens uh, matches on YouTube as well we can throw on there. So anything before we go? Uh, that's it, Gene. I have, hope you have a good vacation. I hope I hope you have fun uh, working. And uh, <laughs> if you see Leslie, tell him I said hello. And uh, we'll have him on again soon because you know what they say, Mr. Sensational equals ratings or something like Lord, that. Lord, he's – yeah, he <laughs> texted me earlier. He's at a he's at a, black, he's at a joker poker machine right now. He texted me earlier. I think he might have won some money, so I'm sure we'll have to hear all about that soon. Okay, so we'll be we'll have him on to talk about whatever his next pro wrestling venture is. <laughs> <laughs> Get ready, folks. Wrestling's coming back to Tupelo. Leslie Jones oh, hit, the, hit the jackpot. <laughs> <laughs> on oh, that boy. note, we will, in fact, see you in two weeks on July the 2nd. Thank you for listening. Share the links. Spread the love and... Introduce somebody you know to Locals to Legends Wrestling Radio. They may even like it. Who knows?